Welcome to Flip the Script, the show where we talk about all your favorite adapted films and where they got their start. Before we begin, I'd like to remind you that the following episode will spoil important plot points from the movie and its original source. I'm your host, Kim Labick, and I hope you enjoy the show. So today we are talking about The Nightmare Before Christmas. Yes. Came out in 1993, and my guest host for the day is none other than the Anna Young. Hello, hello. Happy to be back. Nice. And we're on the Halloween episodes now. Woo-hoo. I mean, we're not recording this near Halloween, but shh, don't tell anybody. I wish it was nearer to Halloween. My favorite season is spooky season. Oh, spooky season, I feel like, has been extended this year, and I'm really happy about it. It's been a spooky year. Yeah, spooky year, honestly. So I don't know if I reminded you, but we usually try and start off with a favorite quote or moment. If you don't have that, it's okay. Hmm. I think my favorite moment, I like the Oogie Boogie scene, like his uh, his first like dance number when he's like dancing on the roulette wheel. I don't remember what song it is, but I, I think Oogie Boogie's fabulous. That's like my favorite part. Yeah, all the characters in this whole thing are amazing. Um, my favorite part would be when Sally, she like rips her leg off. And she sticks it in the gate to, like, distract Oogie. Because I just love that. I'm like, you genius, amazing woman. She's a great character. Yeah. So I literally just rewatched this, like, s- seconds before we started recording this. Because <laughs> I hadn't seen the movie in so long. I was like, I need to watch. And it's so short. It's like an hour and 15 minutes. It's a really short movie. Yeah. And I was like, I need a refresher. So I literally just rewatched it, like, seconds ago. So we got... The, the current expert on this, Anna Young. <laughs> I watched it last night, but to be fair, I was also only like half paying attention. Yeah. But that's because like I've seen it enough before and I'm, I'm familiar enough with it that I feel like comfortable going into this. I, it wasn't like I was like I had never seen it before. I watched it a lot as a kid, so I do recall most of the movie already. True. That's an interesting thing I want to get into later, talking about the fact that most of us has seen this. Most of us have seen this since we were kids. Yeah. But the way that it was kind of branded... They tried to kind of they tried to move it away from the children audience because it was seen as being like too scary. Totally. You know what? I'll skip ahead. I have a little fun fact about that before I get into some background. No, you know what? It's not even a fun fact. It's <laughs> it's <laughs> in the part where I wanted to talk about some of the history. So let's start off with that first. So the movie was based off of a poem that Tim Burton wrote mm-hmm. of the same name in 1981. And the movie is commonly mistaken to be directed by Tim Burton. But it was, I thought fact, it was. Yeah. I forget this every time because I feel like I've learned this a few times now just by looking it up. Mm-hmm. But I forget every time because it's it's branded as being Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas. Right. Yeah, but he only produced it. And wrote it. Right, right. Produced it, yeah. directed it. Or I'm sorry, produced it, wrote it. Yeah. But it was directed by Henry Selick, who has a very similar style. He also did Coraline. Oh, he did do Coraline. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I love Coraline a lot. Like a lot, a Same. lot. Same. And I feel like that kind of explains the confusion there. Because obviously, like, the style is very Tim Burton style. Yeah. But it still feels like it was made by somebody comfortable enough in that style, which Henry Selick happens to be very much in that same kind of style because of, yes. you know, Coraline. Because Coraline, a lot of people also mistaken that for a Tim Burton movie, but it's not. No, it's not. Like, not even at all. I don't think he was involved. Yeah, and I knew that about Coraline, but I literally, until I looked up the movie on IMDb like an hour ago, I very genuinely thought it was directed by Tim Burton. I was like, oh, okay. But it does make sense, though, because, I, I mean, 
directing a stop motion film is a very different beast. And I maybe he didn't even want to take the reins on that at that time. Because this was before he had delved into any other stop motion. So maybe he didn't even want to direct it. I don't know the story behind that part of it. But mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't really get too much into that, like how it was settled. But I also thought was interesting, too. I don't know if you wanted to talk about this later or not. But so Danny Elfman is the composer of all of the music in the film. Um, he's a super famous composer. He did like the Simpsons theme song. He did some of the Batman movies, tons of stuff, like really, really famous. And he also is the singing voice of Jack Skellington in the movie yes and he does a great job yeah he does a great job i feel like those are jobs that don't often overlap like you don't often hear of like you know andrew lloyd weber being also a voice in the movie yeah. or something like can you imagine like john williams voicing <laughs> some like no like you know john never williams hear that. as luke skywalker yes <laughs> i need it <laughs> I, I honestly need that in my life but um yeah i didn't really realize that either and that's super interesting but and, but he's not the speaking voice he's just the singing voice right and then the speaking voice also interesting, I don't recall his name off the top of my head, but it's the same actor who plays Prince hum- Humbert, whatever his name is, in Princess Bride. Oh, uh, Humberdink? Humberdink, thank you. Are you He's serious? Humberdink. What? Yes. Yeah. That is, that's wild. <laughs> I know, I didn't realize that either. I was like, oh my gosh, Humberdink, thank you. Yes. Damn. Another one of my favorite movies is Princess Bride. Yeah, true. Um, That's... Thank you for that important little tidbit, because now when I play Seven Steps to Kevin Bacon, I have another secret connection to make. Does anybody <laughs> do that anymore? Am I like, have I just learned that from older people? No, there used to be, I remember in college, there was like a website that you could go to. If you have an IMDb page, it will tell you how many steps you are. So like a bunch of us, because we all have, you have an IMDb page, don't you? We all have IMDb, yeah. so it will tell you how many steps you are from Kevin Bacon. Oh, I would love to know that. And I want to make it as small as possible. I think it was like, I was like seven steps. It wasn't actually, it was supposed to be six or less, I think is like the rule. And I was like seven or eight. That's what it is. Whatever. Six steps. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I digress. Anyways, (laughs) the nightmare before Christmas. Um, So then going back for a minute to when we talked about how most of us have seen this as kids and growing up. Interesting fact, the film was produced by Disney. But when the CEO saw the first trailer, he said it was too dark and scary for kids. So the company went on to distribute it under their adult Touchstone Pictures distribution, Mm. which also I feel like is another source of confusion on the movie. It's like some people will be like, oh, yeah, it's totally a Disney film. And other people are like, I don't think it's a Disney film, but it officially is. I took pause when I was going to watch it this morning. I was like, what platform would this be on? I was like, is this a Disney movie? Is it on Disney Plus? I was like, I think it's a Disney movie. So I thought the same thing, Mm -hmm. which it is. And I was on Disney Plus, but. Yeah, I considered the same thing. I was like, I think it is, hopefully. Yeah, because they, you know, they tried to distance themselves from the film early on, again, because they thought it was like too dark and scary. But then when it became successful, they were like, oh, you know what? That was us, guys. Don't forget. And yes, it's on Disney Plus. Thank you. To God. be fair, it is very dark. It's a real dark movie. And rewatching it, I was reminded of such. Like, Sally literally tries to, like, she throws herself off of a building. Yeah. To, like, kill herself. And she, I mean, she knows she won't die because she's like a pieced together creature. But yeah, she literally throws herself off the building. She poisons that one guy. She like, it's like dark. It's totally dark. Yeah. And some of the, some of the toys that the kids get from Jack's Christmas are like, <laughs> like a like shrunken a, head. Yes. Like the shrunken head that the kid like holds up to his parents. Oh my gosh. And they just scream and he's like, what is this? Yes. I remember, I think my parents thought this movie was like a little too dark for me as a kid too. 
but I still watched it and I loved it because I've always really liked like Halloween and scary stuff, even when I was little. Hell yeah. So this movie was like totally for me. <laughs> right up your alley. Also, too, like the Christmas themes. I think because uh, I love Christmas so much. I totally do. But having the combination of the scary and the Christmas is like my ideal movie vibe. And you know, what's interesting, I was looking up a little bit more information this morning before we were going to talk. And the original inspiration for the whole thing came from Tim Burton was watching Halloween merchandise being taken off of the shelves and replaced with Christmas (laughs) merchandise. And that just like juxtaposition stuck in his mind. And that's kind of what, you know, put him on the pathway to write this and eventually make the film. Interesting. Mm-hmm. The poem is cute. I did read the poem um, yeah. as well. And I had not read it before. It's cute. It's kind of, it's not very long. Mm-hmm. It's a couple pages, I think. And you can find it easily online. Yeah, it was on like, I think it was on the wiki for this movie. Like the fandom wiki page. But yeah, I didn't really realize that it was like, it wasn't just like a general poem about like Halloween town. It was like Jack is in the poem and Zero, the dog, is in the poem. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think most of the other characters are. Santa is, obviously. But I think those are the only characters that were in the poem, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it's really like the only characters that are the same and like named from yeah. the poem would be Jack, his dog, Zero, and Santa. Everyone else, like all the other characters that you see in the film... Are, I mean, they're, like, kind of implied to exist. Mm-hmm. You know, there are lines where he's, like, Jack and his spooky friends. Or, like, yeah. Jack and the people of Halloween Town. But, yeah, all of the, like, fleshed out characters in the film are all new. And I think it's, they're all, like, really well done. Oh, yeah. Their actual character, their design, their stories. Loved it. The character design is really fantastic. I That was one thing I thought right away when I started watching it today. I was like, oh, some of the characters in this are so cool. Mm-hmm. Like, even Jack's character design is fantastic. Like, if you look at the way, like, his body movement is so interesting and, like, his face is so cool. The way that they designed his mouth is, like, the huge wide skull, but he has teeth within his skull thing. I don't know how to, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's like there's, yeah. like, the it's the rips on the mouth that kind of open up and it looks like, and then he has more creepy teeth inside. Very cool. Super cool mm-hmm. character design. Very iconic, too. Like, you would recognize that. If you saw, like, a very vague sketching of it, you'd be like, that's Jack. I get a lot of Hot Topic 2005 vibes when I <laughs> yes, think of Jack Skellington. Like purple <laughs> and black and white socks. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> purple and green with Jack Skellington's face and Sally on it. Amazing. <laughs> I love the, the Jack Skellington that they have in, like, Disneyland and Disney World. Because he's still, like, kind of creepy when you see him. Mm-hmm. But he's also... You know, they did a really good job of making him like a little bit more kid friendly in the Mm -hmm. costume context. So you can be like, oh, my God, that's Jack. I want to go give him a hug. Yeah. Otherwise, you get like some major Slenderman vibes if someone looked like that in person, I feel like. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. When are we going to get the crossover of Slenderman and Jack? Oh, like, (laughs) is that the sequel? Is that part two? That's the sequel. Oh, my God. I'm pretty sure I read uh, Tim Burton's, like, very anti-sequel to this movie. Like, he won't let them do it. Yeah, I was going to say. So, another kind of fun fact about this whole film that I have is back in 2001 was when Disney wanted to make a sequel. They were like, oh, wow, this is successful. People love it. Let's make another one. Also, they wanted to use computer animation instead of stop motion. (gasps) Shame. Yeah. They would. Of course they would. Flaw number one. Actually, flaw number two, just on the fact of, like, wanting to make a sequel. But yeah, so Tim Burton convinced them not to. He was like, 
no, you know, it's not, I don't want to do that. Don't. But flash forward in 2019, a credible source told moviehole.net that Disney was talking again about a sequel. This time, live action. Of course it's live action. Oh my lord. Ugh. Yeah. There's no word on whether or not, like, it's a real thing and it's in progress, but there were at least talks about, like, hey, what if we do this? I'm not here for that at all. Big thumbs up. And where do you even take the story from here? Like, the story ends with him coming to peace with being a scary man and liking to be scary and being happy in Halloween Town. What, they're going to rehash it and go in, like, the St. Patrick's Day door? Like, what? Something that I've always disliked about Disney sequels, specifically like Disney kid sequels, are they tend to erase the character development of people from the first film in order to make a sequel. Yeah. And one of the biggest thing that comes to mind for me is like High School Musical, okay? So High School Musical 1, Sharpay at the end, she runs up to Zeke and she's like, oh my god, your baking is amazing. And like, there are moments with Sharpay where she starts to realize like, she's kind of awful and she shouldn't be. And then in the next, like, what, two or three films? She's just terrible again. She, like, never learns. Yeah. Yeah. You're totally right. That's a great point. And who knew that you would make the point from High School Musical? But it's really (laughs) valid. Because, yeah, it's like Sharpay has a great little character arc in the first movie. And then it's completely erased Mm -hmm. for the other movies. And that happens a lot. You'll notice that there are a lot of people whose character development is just thrown out the window because they don't really have enough motivation for a sequel so they're like well we'll just bring the villain back we'll give them different circumstances kind of thing i also i hate the live action disney thing i hate it so much same jungle book was cool i liked jungle book but come on i don't i hate all of it that's another tangent in itself but i'm not here for any of it yeah i just watched the new mulan and i'm not gonna you know i would i want people who haven't seen that movie yet to see it anyways like the new live action Mulan because you might like mm-hmm. it you might be like yes I love this personally did not like it at all there were maybe like three things that it was like that's cool that's a cool addition but the rest of it I was like oof really really dropped the ball there have you heard that they're about the Pinocchio plans they're doing oh, a live action God. Pinocchio the Ugh. cast is very weird let let me yeah, pull it up. I want to know. Uh, you need to... I I know this is a tangent, but I just want you to hear about this, and I think the listeners deserve to hear about this. They do. Uh, okay, so as I'm looking this up, I recall that there are two versions in progress at the same time. So one... Interesting. ...is very exciting because it's directed by none other than Guillermo del Toro. Which I'm here for, because if I can get spooky, creepy, weird Pinocchio, yes. However, Mm. I think there's another version being directed by... mm, I'm trying to remember here. I don't recall. But that's the Disney one. Oh, right. Robert Zemeckis, of course. So that's Mm. the cute little Disney one. Totally makes sense. However, Tom Hanks is in negotiations to be in the Disney one cool okay and i know that i for the del toro one i think ewan mcgregor is supposed to be jiminy cricket which i'm kind of vibing with oh that's perfect it's interesting but there's literally two versions live action happening right now for pinocchio weird yeah yeah that'll be interesting i would love if they came out kind of around the same time so we could all just go see both of them and be like you know, Remember in, like, contrast. the mid-2000s where there were, like, those two Friends with Benefits movies? 
Like the oh, one yeah, with Justin the... Timberlake and then the one with Ashton Kutcher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're literally the same movie. Yeah. And they came out within like months of each other. I think I started to notice that when Happy Feet came out the same time that March of the Penguins came out. And I know that they're not like the same story, but it was so weird in my mind that two Penguin movies would come out at the mm-hmm. same time. I was like, who overheard someone and somewhat tried to steal their idea? And that the Ants movie came out like a little bit after Bug's Life, too. Ants yeah. is a DreamWorks movie, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like, it's funny that that always happens. Like, wouldn't they just maybe like hold the movie for a while to give it a better chance? I don't know. I've always wondered that. Like, why do that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting to see why they would put them next to each other. But on one hand, it might help both of them. Like, if you see Ants and you like True. Ants, then you're going to want to go see Bugs Life. You're like, I really could vibe for another Bug movie right now. Yeah. Or, you know, if you go see Ants and you hate Ants, and you're like, I want to see a good Bug movie, maybe Bugs Life is better. <laughs> and it's Ants with a Z, I think. I'm ants pretty sure it's Z. Ants with a Z. <laughs> Big late 90s mood. Uh, Anyway. (laughs) When are they going to do live action ants? (laughs) Oh my God. Disgusting. Oh my God. Moving on. So another kind of fun fact that I have with this is Oogie Boogie was originally intended to be Dr. Finkelstein in disguise. And reportedly Tim Burton was so against the idea that he literally kicked a hole in the wall. I kind of like that idea, but okay, whatever. I feel like it would have been an interesting plot twist, but I love those two characters separately enough. They're both, yes, they're both really strong characters, and the movie's really tight, like, plot-wise, so there probably wasn't, he probably didn't feel like there was space for that, too, which is fair. Mm-hmm. Ooh, quick question. Anna, if you were a character in this movie, who would you want to be and why? Oh. I mean, Sally's great. I'd be Sally. Yeah. She's so true. cute and she has a great brain and she is very caring and I like her a lot. Yeah, she's so like smart from off the bat. Yeah. And I love that she can be sewn back together. That's kind of fun. Yeah, I'd be Sally. Who would you be? Ooh, good question. <laughs> That's my own question. God damn. <laughs> what a great question, Anna. Great um, question. I kind of would want to be one of the like witchy kids. I know they're terrible and obnoxious, but I would kind of want to be one of them because they seem like a fun gang to hang out with. They popped in my brain too, so (laughs) that's valid. Yeah, so as far as like the similarities and differences, I mean, we could, we've kind of had enough of that conversation. When you read the poem, it's so, the story is so similar to the movie, except for the fact Mm -hmm. that the movie just enhances everything and like gives more people names and storylines, which I think is great. I think is a lovely way to do an adaptation is to keep with the same story just add more into it kind of thing Mm -hmm. uh one of the most recent episodes that i recorded was i recorded cats with claire yeah and that one the source material for that is it's kind of almost the exact same (laughs) like they just basically take the same thing put some music into it which you know is also a good way to do an adaptation i think the thing is like you know there's no perfect way to do an adaptation no. Like, you could no. do it one way or the other, and it might still also be great. But mm-hmm. um, I think for this specific story, it worked out really well to keep the story and then to just, like, enhance it. Mm-hmm. Instead of be like, okay, well, we like the title and we like the concept, but let's, you know, make it something totally different. And then Jack Skellington can just be a side character or whatever. Mm-hmm. No, I think they did a good job with that. Also, have you ever been to either Disney World or Disneyland when they 
change the haunted mansion into like the nightmare before christmas i have i have not been there but my i have a lot of family members who go all the time and so i've seen photos of them doing it and it looks really cool can you elaborate on what they do yeah well so there's you know i don't think that the ghosts in the end are different i think they're just like characters from nightmare before christmas and i i went to this like two years ago i think i went to Mm -hmm. disneyland with some of my family and we went literally right on the cusp of when they had Christmas versus Halloween. Nice. So they had like, we went one of the days that they had Halloween. And then the next day that we went, like right after that, they had changed everything up to like Christmas, which was wow. really cool. But yeah, I remember. So the ride that they they changed the Haunted Mansion into the Nightmare Before Christmas, I think they kept, oh God, now I'm trying to remember. I just remember it being like more colorful. They had mm-hmm. a lot of like the Halloween Town characters. It was cool. Obviously, the ride itself was the same because you can't just like, yeah, yeah, you know, change the route all of a sudden. But right. I love Haunted Mansion. That's one of my favorite rides. I think that ride is absolutely incredible. I think it's so fun. Yeah. That's a podcast episode that I want to get to in the near future is talking about the Haunted Mansion because that the adaptation there is it was a theme park ride before it was a movie, much like Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. Have you done Pirates of the Caribbean yet? No, not yet. I'm so excited. I love those movies. Phil's a massive fan. Yeah. Which one would you say is your favorite? I know there's technically five, but I only consider them to be three. I would also consider that there's three. Um, One is my favorite. Good choice. I'm a classic person. I was literally obsessed with the first movie as a child. Like, we had it on DVD, and I, because I was a weird film nerd even as a child, and I would watch all the special features every day. Every day. So that's like Damn. all the behind the scenes stuff. And I loved that movie so much. It's so good. I'm a huge stan for the have first Have you ever one. watched uh, like a movie's commentary? You know, when they have like bonus feature, yeah. director commentary. You've watched those? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Nice. When I was a kid, I liked them a lot. Again, because I was weird and a movie nerd. But I watched them all the time. Any of Tarantino's commentaries are the best. Like if you haven't listened to a Tarantino commentary, you have to. Not yet, but I would love to. Dude is weird and it's fun. It's a good time. Nice. I was just going to say, they should put commentaries like on Netflix. Like you should have options to have a commentary version. Yes. Okay. So kind of in that same vein and going back a little bit to High School Musical, you know how Disney Channel had like little fun fact versions of their movies? Yep. Like sometimes they mm-hmm. would play High School Musical, but yep. they would have like little pop-ups that were fun facts. Yep. I think I was talking to like Joey the other day and I was like, oh my gosh, what if we had that but for like every movie? And he was like, isn't that just director's commentary? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, basically. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it would be really nice to be able to have those versions, like the option to watch the kind of fun fact version of a movie on streaming. They should do that for all of those directors, like, cause Netflix has all of those partnerships with like, they have a contract with Scorsese, they have a contract with Fincher. They should do like, all of those directors have a commentary version of their Netflix original movies. Like the Irishman should have a commentary version. Um, Mank is Fincher's new movie coming out. That should have commentary. I was going to say, make a three-hour movie a seven-hour movie with commentary. Yeah, why not? It's Scorsese. I could listen to him talk it. all day. That's fine. I didn't love that movie, but I, it was fine. Still haven't seen it. It was okay. It was I okay. don't know. All right. It was I'll okay. check it out eventually in life. Yeah. When you have three hours to burn. <laughs> hmm Yeah. So back on The Nightmare Before Christmas, um, <laughs> I just have We're doing like, a lot of digressing today. Yeah. That's Hey, that's the name of the game. If we don't okay. get off topic, it's not really a podcast. Valid. 
So some other information I have, you know, when I went to research this, I was like, there's not too much to talk about the similarities and the differences. So why don't I just throw in a whole bunch of fun facts and we'll sure. uh, enrich our audience with this new knowledge. So um, it's reported that like pretty much any animated Disney film has a hidden Mickey. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not sure how true that is, but I'm assuming that it's true. It sounds like it would be. Sure. Sure. Yeah. We'll have to go back and watch all of them. <laughs> Pixar has their, they always do hidden things too. So yeah. Yeah. And there's a hidden Mickey in The Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh. You know, in Christmas Town when Jack is like doing all his stuff and, and the kids of the town wake up the next day and get all these like horror presents and stuff. There's a pair of children who are shown briefly in Christmas Town. They're wearing printed pajamas. One of them is wearing a Donald Duck print and the other one is wearing a Mickey print. I did not notice that. Clever. It's very sneaky. Some of the ones I've heard, like the Hidden Mickey things, they do like really sneak them in sometimes. Like they'll be like, it'll be like a print in the sand or like something weird like that. So it is, (laughs) it's fun to see those. I like that they do it. It's fun. Oh my God. Did I ever tell you? So Claire and Allie did the most amazing thing. Like literally they, they made my life because when, I was going to say Galaxy Land, when Star Wars Land was like opening, Mm -hmm. since they worked there, they got to do like a preview beforehand and mm-hmm. they could invite guests and they invited me and i was like it was probably the greatest day of my life because i fucking love star wars yeah and they know that of course so we went and i remember because i know that there's hidden mickeys all around disneyland and i was like there's gotta be some here i spent a stupid amount of time trying to look for mm-hmm. hidden mickeys and being like is that it is that it and none of it was oh my gosh uh, i really just wanted to be that person who would be like I found the hidden Mickey first, but I wasn't, so <laughs> fail. I think you went to Star Wars Land. I don't know. What's it actually called? Galaxy's Edge? Galaxy's Edge, called? yeah. Um, it was, wasn't that like days after I was there when I stayed with you? Yeah. Or was it right before? No, it was right before. Oh, it was like right around that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I remember the day that we went to Disneyland was the day that Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill were in the park to dedicate the park Oh my and I god. Didn't know, I didn't know until after like the next day. And I was like, I was breathing the same air <laughs> as Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill, and I didn't know. Oh, I was upset. Oh my god. It wasn't officially open yet when I was there in Disneyland. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you had gone just like a couple days beforehand because it was supposed to open literally like two days after I was in LA, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Classic. Perfect timing. I'll be back. That's amazing though, that he was like there. You could have accidentally bumped into him and you probably wouldn't even know. I would have peed my pants. <laughs> that man. How is he doing these days? I mean, I don't, I don't, we don't need to get into that, but I hope Harrison Ford is doing well. You know, he, I know. So Phil has some sisters who live in Jackson, Wyoming, and I mm-hmm. we were out there a couple weeks ago and Harrison Ford has a place out there. Do you remember like a couple years ago, he like, so he's really into flying planes, like he has a pilot's license right. and he crashed mm-hmm. his plane that was, that was in Wyoming. Um, so he's flying planes if you're wondering what he's doing good for him that sounds like a really classic retired white man i love it totally the really rich (laughs) white guy thing to do but i mean he's in blade runner 2049 that was only like two years ago and then this year he was in that crappy looking animated dog nature movie was it called the wild it looked crappy yep that looked bad Mm -hmm. i don't know why he did that i saw that trailer way too many times in theaters back when (laughs) Oh, back when, back when we movie? could go in theaters. <laughs> I miss going to see movies in theaters so much. And like, so my birthday was the other day and mm-hmm. 
I didn't realize until closer to that that Tenet came out, like, the day before Mm -hmm. my birthday. And Mm -hmm. in my head, I was thinking, like, oh, movies that come out nowadays come out on streaming services, so you can just buy Mm -hmm. them and watch them at home. So I was like, I told my friends, I was like, this is the one thing that I want to do for my birthday, guys, is I want to see Tenet, you know, have a movie night. I have been so excited for this movie for so long. And then come to find out, it's not online. It's playing only in theaters. And theaters in LA aren't even open, of course. Yep. Which, you know, I'm glad. I'm glad that they're not open because we should be safe. But yeah, it was just pretty sad. Yeah, because no one's very, like, this must be seen only in theaters. Like, they're not even running it at drive-ins. It's only indoor theaters. Because I have drive-ins around me and, like, the movie theaters here are doing, like, turning their parking lots into drive-ins. I love that. Just to get customers. And so, but they're not playing Tenet. But some of the movie theaters up north are open. Like, Traverse City up upwards, the movie theaters are open. So, like, if I wanted to, I could drive up there to see Tenet, which I've considered. Because I want to see Tenet quite badly. So bad, right? Dude, oh, and, like, the Travis song, or I'm sorry, the the Travis Scott song from that movie came out the other day. And it's so good. And it just gets you more hyped to see that movie. I want to see it really bad. The beat of it is so classically Nolan epic. And I was so sad. Like, so the Dune trailer dropped the other day. That is my most anticipated movie of the last couple years. I am beyond stoked. My my sister is named after one of the characters in Dune. So Dune is a beloved story. Oh, wait, what's your sister's name? Jessica. She's named after Lady Jessica. So Dune is very beloved, and I'm very excited because Denis Villeneuve can do no wrong, and I just want to see Timothy Chalamet in that role. But the end of the trailer just says only in theaters, and I'm like, fuck. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I just want to see Dune, and I know that it's going to get pushed back for probably, like, until next August or something ridiculous. It's probably when it will actually come out, and it's just, Mm -hmm. it hurts my heart because I want to see movies again. Yeah. As far as that movie goes, I didn't really know about the story of Dune and didn't know that there was already like Dune movies and shows and stuff um, until they like, you know, announced they were like, oh, we're making a Dune Dune movie. And then I was like, Mm -hmm. new. Uh, And so I went down the rabbit hole of being like, holy shit, people say this is amazing. So I'm reading the book. I've been reading the book since like March. Yeah. And um, I have another friend who I know that she loves Dune as well. And I know she's excited for the movie as well. Like, you know, many of us are. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I already asked her, like the second the trailer dropped, I was like, when this comes out, do you want to do the podcast with me? Like, <laughs> I was going to say, that's going to be a future podcast. For, definitely. And I would I would have asked you just now, but I did. I already asked someone. You made your commitment. It's fine. I'm a recur- returning guest anyway. I'll have more episodes. True, true. Yeah, we have some okay. Christmas episodes um, yes. that we're going to do, which will be fun to do the nightmare before Christmas. And then, I know. Like, yeah. Christmas I didn't even really think about that. I'm always here to talk about a Christmas movie. Let's do it. I'm excited. Okay, so so going back again, getting a little bit back on topic with Nightmare Before Christmas, I wanted to ask you a trivia question. All right. And I think you'll have a good knowledge of this because I'm asking you kind of about like the timeline of stop motion. Oh, okay. So here we go. How long would it take to create a single minute of stop motion film? A minute? Oh, man. Let's see. Is this like in... how? What type of response is this? Like in days, hours, weeks, <laughs> whatever, whatever you feel fits. Okay, let's see. So I think it usually takes like three to five years to do an entire stop motion movie. So mm-hmm. maybe like a month. That's a good guess. Um, it actually for this film took about a week. Okay, I wasn't sure if it was gonna be a week or a month. Okay, 
All right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's still insane. When, like, you and I know very well, like, on set, it takes, like, how long to film a minute? You know, an hour to a couple of hours, depending. Sure. Yeah. Couple hours, maybe. But still, like, oh, my God. That's Can you imagine? And, like, I was thinking, what really impresses me always about stop motion is, like, moving mouths for speech. Um, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. getting a character's mouth to move in a way that it looks like they're actually speaking the words. Like, that's so hard because they're doing it one little movement at a time for every single frame. And in order to do that and have it look correct would be really difficult. Yeah. Like, that's so much harder to me than, like, a moving arm, you know? Yeah. The mouth Mm -hmm. thing is crazy. I always worry about them filming stop motion in California because I'm worried, like, okay, if you have one earthquake, like, does that ruin the whole scene and you have to do the thing all over again? I wonder if they don't do a lot of stop motion production in California because of that purpose. Possibly. That'd be interesting to know. Um, Yeah. And kind of on this topic, though. So as you were saying, it takes people about three to five years to make a stop motion film. This one apparently took just over three years to film. And it's a short movie. The movie is like an hour and 15 minutes long. Mm -hmm. It's super short. So that's crazy. It totals about 110,000 frames in the entire film, which like, if you think about, so there's 24 frames per second. At least in this film, you know, I think maybe some stop motions are different, but at least for this film and going forward. Do they shoot stop motion at a different frame rate, though? No, I think like I think they used to. Okay. I think it might have been less because it was so much work. But I think at least from this and I know moving forward, like Coraline and other things, uh, Kubo, like all of them, I believe, are 24 frames per second. Got it. Okay. Yeah, so capping this film off at about 110,000 frames, that is an insane amount of work because every single frame takes so much work to like move it around, check that it's good, script supervisor, you know, any lighting, direction, whatever that you need to like tweak on your way there before you capture it. Uh, You might not know this, but do they do the recording of the voiceover before they do the stop motion or after that is a good question i think i remember hearing that it was after because you know this is i feel like this is a question many of us have about not only stop motion but animation in general is like what comes first the voice or the animation sure like if i was making a stop motion film with voice i would assume that i would make it first and then fill in with the voice it seems like it would be so much harder to plan it out unless you like captured their face as they were speaking and could break it into frames. But that sounds like it might limit the performance of the voice actor, though, if they have to speak to an animation, you know? Right. You know what? I, I kind of want to look this up. Oh, God, I just hit my mic. Um, <laughs> Sorry, microphone. That's the third time this week. All right. Where do I? Hey, Google, how do we? What are we going to do with this? What comes first? The voice acting or the stop motion. All right. We have 174 billion results. On most cases, voiceover will be recorded first by reading a script. Then the animation will be done following the animation. Some producers, like Disney, also ask the actor to actually perform the action so they can do a better voice take and record more Mm. than just a couple of takes of it. Interesting. Okay, so I was way wrong <laughs> but well, now we know that's cool i wasn't sure either it makes sense but it's interesting definitely oh my god i just am going through my the stuff that i've written down and it's all just like fun facts but that's mostly it i do want to talk about for a minute 
the Oogie Boogie character, which we all love. He's amazing. Yes. And like, what an interesting yes. character design, too. Yes. Awesome. Um, the director, Henry Selick, he was worried that people would think that the portrayal of Oogie Boogie was racist. And he was right. And oh. here's why. Because Oogie Boogie is voiced by the only black man in the cast. And he's the villain. The voice actor is Ken Page, very famous Broadway star. But yeah, there's still, I think it's still a big problem in Hollywood and in other media that, you know, sometimes the only black character they have just so happens to be the villain. No, that's very interesting. And, you know, I I definitely noticed it while watching the movie, too. Like, it was clear that that was the only black actor. I mean, you look at the IMDb page, that's clear. And it's unfortunate. And you notice it through, I mean, even the style of song that he sings um, is kind of different than some of the other songs in the film. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't I didn't know if I necessarily thought about it in that way, but I definitely took note of it while watching, which inherently is not a good thing, right? If I noticed it in that light. Um, it's interesting. And it's also interesting that the director yeah. thought that. Like, he knew ahead of time. He was like, people are going to perceive this as racist. And he still just went on. Yeah. And I read, like, a brief section of an interview with him where he talked about it and he still and he basically it. says he was like yeah i kind of thought this was going to be racist and people thought it was uh and like oh people are gonna pick on anything you know blah 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 like it's gonna happen granted this interview was probably around the time it came out in like the late 90s so i don't take this as me like canceling henry Selick, but mm-hmm. at least discussing the fact that like you know if you think something is going to be racist maybe just don't do it <laughs> Or rethink it or ask people, you know, like do something a little bit more about it than just being like, right, darn. And I think, I mean, the voice actor's performance in it is fantastic. Like I said, I love that Oogie Boogie moment is one of my favorite moments of the movie. I think he's a great character, but, you know, you, you do need to consider those things. And I think maybe some other choices should have been made in the film to help clarify that and to not make that an issue, especially if they projected that it would be an issue. Right. Mm -hmm. And interesting facts about Oogie Boogie as we're talking about him. Apparently, so, you know, he like rips open at the seams and all like Mm -hmm. the the bugs and stuff came out. Unsurprisingly, that was one of the hardest things to film and Mm. to craft. I'm sure. It was an amazing moment for sure. And like so creepy as a kid and still as an adult when you're like, oh, he's just like made of bugs. It gives so much to his character because before he's just like this weird burlap sack and then suddenly he's ripped open and you understand why he's so creepy. Mm -hmm. And something that is, I guess that is like a notable difference between the film and the source material is in the poem, it's Jack who steals Santa. Because, you Mm -hmm. know, he's like really the only character we have. He steals Mm -hmm. Santa and then he lets him go when he realizes that he's messed up. Mm -hmm. But obviously in the movie, we have Oogie Boogie and the witchy kids. I don't remember what they're called. but I don't remember either. The trick-or-treat kids. Yeah, the trick-or-treat kids. We have all those characters and that whole side storyline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had kind of forgotten how kind of ridiculous the ending of the movie is. Like, they like shoot down Jack from the sky when he's delivering <laughs> yeah. presents. 
there's like a government presence, like an like a military presence, and they're like, we must shoot down Jack Skellington. Like it's very dr- high drama. You gotta, you gotta have the military presence. <laughs> I know. Like, okay, Disney, you good for you. You know, something that's interesting. I hope to have an episode to talk more about is the involvement of, like, the actual literal U.S. military and Hollywood because there's a surprising amount of involvement where like the Mm. DOD or whatever will have their hand in a lot of films that talk about military or have military characters. Yeah. And that would be interesting to have a format to discuss that more about like what is good and bad about that. Yeah. Just discussing the government's involvement in general with the film industry. Yeah. You know, going all the way back into the 1920s and 30s with the Hays Code, it would be very interesting because it, you know, it does shape the kind of content that we get to see from American cinemas. And that's interesting to think about. Absolutely. Which is, yeah, not, and again, well, you know, this will be like a whole nother episode where we can get more into this. But it's interesting, especially because when you see most blockbuster films that have a military presence, more often than not, the military presence is negative. Yeah. They're like making things worse or Mm -hmm. they're like, you know, they shouldn't be there or something, which is interesting that they would kind of allow that portrayal to happen. Yeah, they're often the bad guys. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. Is there anything else that you want to say about the movie? Any part that you just want to be like, I love this? Anything else that you got? I would just say I... I really enjoyed revisiting this movie because it had been so long since I saw it. And it is a delightful movie if you enjoy something a little creepy. It is great for spooky season. It is great for the weird pre, like post Halloween, pre Christmas season in November when you don't know what to do with yourself. This movie's perfect for that. So maybe watch it mm-hmm. then. Speaking of that, my last question to you Would you call this a Christmas movie or a Halloween movie? Oh, a Halloween movie, I think. What would you call it? All right. I think I would call it a Halloween movie only because I think I watched it more on Halloween than I've ever watched it on Christmas. Agreed. Mm-hmm. I, I I think that's also why I say that too. All right. It's settled. <laughs> this is officially a Halloween movie. Nobody Halloween can say movie. otherwise. Nope. We're the authority it has, on it. It's been said. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Anna. Thank you for being on here. Um, yeah. And I look forward to our next podcast. Woohoo. Thanks for having me. Bye. And that's a wrap. If you enjoyed this week's episode, we'd appreciate if you'd follow the show on iTunes, Spotify, or whichever platform you're listening from. You can also find exclusive episode release schedules and more on our Instagram, Flip the Script with Kim. Thank you for your time, and we hope you'll tune in for next week's episode. Peace out. <laughs>